Welcome to the Vinyl Preacher, uh, your weekly podcast where we talk about music and the Bible. I'm Matt Candle, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church in Los Angeles, California. And I'm Zach Paris. I am the pastor of Luther Davis Ministry at the University of Colorado Boulder. Didn't you have another university too? Oh, that's right. Yeah, let me redo my introduction. Are they still around? Are they still around? Uh, that's a metaphysical question you're asking, Matt, uh, because in addition to my duties and responsibilities at the University of Colorado Boulder, the flagship university of the state of Colorado, I'm also uh, consider myself the, the, pa- the pastor of Lutheran Campus Ministry in America's only and finest institution of higher education in the Buddhist tradition, uh, Naropa University. Fantastic. And Zach, we're in the season of Advent, uh, and it's a very special season here on the very special, it doesn't sound very holiday season-esque. It's a very, a very special, special episode of The Vinyl here Preacher. On the, here on The Vinyl Preacher. Because uh, tell us what we're doing. What are we doing in the season of Advent? All throughout Advent, we are talking to folks uh, who've had some experience in campus ministry uh, and are now uh, making their way in the music business. Last week, uh, we talked to Nashville-based singer-songwriter Ann Buckle, which was really cool. And uh, again, today, we've got another Nashville-based singer-songwriter, man. Do we? We do. Uh, (laughs) With us today on the podcast is Christina Murray. Hey, Christina. Hey. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So glad to have you on the podcast. All right. So, Matt, Christina and I go uh, way back uh, to 2003. Does that work? Let's, let's run with that. 2003. Sounds good. Sounds good to me. Yeah. A, hey, go Tigers. Go Tigers. That's right. It's just a brief 15 years ago when we first met. Uh, <laughs> we're all so old and we're all going to die. Uh <laughs> That's right. Uh, Christina and I went to Clemson together, and we're involved in campus ministry there uh, at Clemson. Uh, from there, we kind of reconnected a little bit. Our paths crossed again because uh, Christina was Boulder-based uh, around the time that I moved to Boulder uh, and has since mm-hmm. uh, left the People's Republic uh, and gone down the hill uh, to Nashville. That's right. I've come back to God's country. Uh, strong disagree. <laughs> strong disagree. Uh, how's the air? You lots of oxygen? You feel oxygenated down there? Um, you know, the first the first little few months I was here, it was it was something like that, readjusting to the allergies and the heat and the humidity. But now, whenever I go back and visit Colorado, I'm like, how do people live out here? <laughs> My biggest complaint, Christina, uh, and, and why you won't find me there, is uh, I don't enjoy sweating, and I don't have to do it here. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah you really don't. No, you I don't. only sweat when I'm, like, supposed to because I've been, like, working hard yeah. or exercising, not because I've right. been, been respirating, you Standing. know. Uh, right. right. I was always amazed, we're going to tangenting here, uh, when I moved to the West yeah. uh, with the existence, Christina, of this stuff called shade, right? It's yeah. like when like a tree or something gets in the way of the sun and it casts a shadow <laughs> and it's markedly cooler in the shade than it is in the direct right. sunlight. Growing up right. in North Carolina, spending most of my formative years in the South, I didn't know, I read about it in books and seen it on TV, but I didn't, <laughs> had never experienced it until I came out here. Right. That's not right. a thing in the South. It's just, it's as equally hot in the shade. Yes. Oh, yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Humidity, man. No, nothing. Humidity. Yep. <laughs> not it's like okay. a blanket. 
<laughs> oh, I'm getting uncomfortable right now. This is terrible. I never asked you though, Christina, how did you, um, if I remember correctly, uh, grew up in Atlanta, uh, college at Clemson. How did you make the trek from Clemson to Boulder? Sure, so I had to do an internship. Uh, I was a Parks and Rec major at Clemson and I had to do- Party right through um, May. Is that still the- that that's what they say, but we worked hard. We don't <laughs> let that fool you. Okay, we, we okay. you know, we did it. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I had to do an internship and, you know, I looked around South Carolina and some in uh, Atlanta area and, um, and, and I just kind of got the notion to go out West and everyone I talked to was like, yeah, you should, she got out South for a while. <laughs> um, so I found an internship out there in Lafayette and, um, We'll, we'll say it. Wait, how do they? No, Lafayette. That's Lafayette. Lafayette. That's how they say it. Lafayette and Louisville. Yeah. That's the funny one. And Louisville with an S. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I found one out there and, and I did that for three months and then they hired me on there and then I stayed for almost seven years, about six and a half years. So how did you, uh, your internship, I assume, was not a, like a music business sort of based internship, right? No, no, definitely not. I was in rec therapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So how did... Uh, is that a common thing for people in, in, in that form of therapy to transition to the, the music business? Well, no. <laughs> How did I get around to yeah. the, the totally irrational idea of being a musician for, for my career? Um, I had always played, you know, music. I started playing guitar when I was in high school and um, had enjoyed picking and singing. I, you know, I grew up going to church camp and in North Georgia and, um, learned how to sing and play guitar there. And, um, even when I was at Clemson, I kind of got into a little bit of that bluegrass scene there. And then, um, that was probably another impetus for, for moving to Colorado. They had a, a really good, they had a bluegrass scene. And, um, so when I got out there, I, I started going to jams and, and going to see live music and, um, just kind of fell in love with that. And it wasn't until, you know, two or three years into, kind of doing that as a hobby, so to say, that I, that I was, you know, got the idea that, oh, people do, people do this for a living. That's a real <laughs> thing. Um, and uh, anyway, so it just kind of went from there and, and thus has been the journey to now I live in Nashville and I'm trying to, to make a go of it, as they say. So how um, I, uh, I, I dabble in the banjo personally. Mm -hmm. and so banjo I'm, dabbler. I'm a banjo dabbler. Uh, uh, these days I'm, I've taken, I started a strange story, Christina. Uh, I got a banjo in Clemson. My parents gave it to me for Christmas, like towards the end of my, my time there. Uh, and then I really learned how to play in Chicago because you move from the South to go to Chicago to learn how to play the banjo. That's um, <laughs> a, a common path. That's why I encourage everybody to leave the South to go to cities in the north to learn how to play bluegrass. Right. Uh, but I'm aware that bluegrass is a very particular sort of genre. Um, and not that you're like, I wouldn't describe you as necessarily like bluegrass these days. How did you find the door even to bluegrass of such a particular sort of singer songwriting is really, I think, expansive, right? But Right. Then, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I think, I think the community that surrounds bluegrass is so open and welcoming you know it's very much like even if you can only play three chords on the guitar even if you're not very good at guitar you know or you don't know how to sing harmony you know it's very or if you're not very accessible. good at the banjo maybe yeah or or it's a banjo or the fiddle or the dobro god help you or the triangle <laughs> or whatever it's very you know i think it's very accessible because the songs are generally easy to learn they're kind of formulaic and like you know it's a 
the one, four, and five chord pretty much. Um, you can hear changes coming. Uh, harmony is kind of easy to find once you once you understand like how harmony singing works. Um, people are are encouraging. It's kind of an all ages type thing, like real young, wrong kids, and then real real old timers, and then just everybody in between. And and that was especially true in Colorado, which is very you know, which is, is a a bastion for, for open-mindedness, in my opinion, or, or has been, um, certainly. So I think that just, just getting the courage to, to sing in front of people and to talk to people and to, to learn so, you know, tons and tons of songs that, that was for sure an encouragement, um, to, to then standing on stage in front of a microphone and, and doing it in front of people. And then, you know, from there, like bluegrass obviously is a cousin to country music, which I had always grown up with. I didn't really get into bluegrass until I was in college age. Um, but you know, when I was 10 years old, I was singing, you know, Tim McGraw songs and Reba McIntyre songs and, and Loretta Redlin songs and all that. Um, so I've always been a huge fan of country music and, and bluegrass just kind of re got me back around to, uh, to country music, which, which has then, you know, evolved into what I would consider myself now an Americana singer, Mm -hmm. um, singer songwriter. So yeah. Yeah. So, so full uh, disclosure here. I don't know if that's the right thing to say before I say this, but, uh, it's 15 years ago now. So that's a long time. My memory, uh, I have, uh, what do you call it? A child now. And so I have no ability to retain any sense of memory. So <laughs> dad brain. Yeah, it's real. It's wor- I think it's worse than pregnancy brain because I haven't experienced pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. So I was always, uh, the Christina Murray that I remember in my head from 15 years ago before we kind of reconnected wasn't like a, a bluegrass uh, country singer, you know? Right. Am I, is that part of my brain still? Is that accurate? Well, I th- probably you and you and I um, know each other in a musical sense um, because I led worship songs. Yeah, so, there you go. You know, that's, that was kind of like my role certainly with, with LCM and, um, that's again. I learned how to play guitar at church camp, and those are the songs that I, I learned how to sing. Thy word and, and light the fire and all that stuff, which are burned into my brain. I can play them in my sleep, and I could sing all the parts for you. You know, at the drop of a drop of a dime. But you know, we also sang like "I'll Fly Away" was a big one, and mm-hmm. "Little Circle Be Unbroken," which are very traditional, um, you know, mountain songs uh, in the bluegrass canon, mm-hmm. gospel songs. Um, yeah. For sure. Well, on behalf of the whole church, Christina, I want to apologize that those camp songs are burnt into your brain. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a sad, yeah. s- sad reality. But yeah, <laughs> a thing I was struck by is you're describing the you're kind of uh, how you walked into to the bluegrass world and experiencing it as a community. Uh, I don't want to don't put this on you, but a, a connection that I made was it sounded a lot like my kind of romanticized vision of what my campus ministry experience was like sure of being in a supportive community is that uh does that resonate at all for you yeah i mean i you know i i grew up in the church and i grew up on a church camp um and i did uh episcopal church youth group during high school and all that and and that continued when i was in college and even beyond that i worked in the church um as a working professional in the last few years i was in boulder and then when i was in college i worked um at my my church summer camp and it was it was always like and still to this day i would say that the community piece of church or campus ministry in in 
you know, the context you're, you're speaking of, um, was always that welcoming thing, regardless of where uh, one is currently at their faith walk or, you know, where they have been or where they're headed to, you know, I've kind of have admittedly been all over the place with that. Um, but I, you know, still to this day, believe that the best, absolutely the best thing about church is, is the community that it provides for sure regardless of, of, of any sort of comfort or anything, all that other, all the other bad stuff brings with it, you know, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, the, the community piece still, still blows me away, for sure. Cool. I was really excited by your uh, initial response when I, when I reached out about the, about the podcast uh, and having you on. How would you say, I don't want to, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, what was your response? How about that? Yeah, here's a question. You don't have to like read your verbatim response, right? What was your reaction? I think, it was, uh, I think it was something along the lines of, I'm happy to do this. I'm happy to talk about this uh, for sure. But I'm, I'm admittedly not, not really a believer uh, anymore. Um, and, and I have a lot of opinions about what you know the current state of christianity is in american's context that's the only really the only way i know it so what critique could you possibly have of the american church these days (laughs) (laughs) blasphemy get her out of here that's right oh i didn't know i didn't know the podcast was going this way thanks for being on christian we'll talk to you later (laughs) um well you know i i mean Southern identity, which is a lot of what my my new music is a lot about, and my new record is 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 very significantly about that. Um, and I think the church plays a huge role in that for not not just Southerners, um, a lot of Americans, but very specifically from what I know, Southerners. I, I remember when my college roommate came, you know, moved to this house, she was like, you don't see billboards that have, just, <laughs> you know, black billboard that says Jesus on it, you know, or you don't see like the, a giant white cross and an American flag. She's like, you don't really see that up in New Jersey so much as you see it like every exit on I-85, you know, and-, and Well, if any Georgia state could use that, it's probably New Jersey, right? Right, <laughs> even. Um, so I, I kind of talk a lot about that, how it's, you know, it's still such a huge part of my life, whether or not, you know, I really mm-hmm. think about it too much. It's there. And, and I know it is for so many people, you know, I have a, another girlfriend from Brooklyn and she was talking about how she, she's lived in Nashville now for a couple of years. And she's saying, it still kind of shocks me when I go to a restaurant and I see people bowing their head to pray. She's like, you just don't really you don't see that in New York, you know? So yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Do you see that in Los Angeles, Matt? <laughs> no, not that often. Uh, it makes me think of my our pastor friend Yuan, uh, who refuses to do that even when asked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, and you know, a kind of a, a refrain that I'm, I'm sure Zach, you could you could probably relate to this, but like a refrain that I heard a lot growing up was, uh, you know, I'll pray for you, I'll pray for you, mm-hmm. you know, and and it's. I don't know. I, I guess I'm thinking probably way too much about it, but that's what I do no. as a as a writer and an artist and and a creative. It's just like, well, let's let's actually think about what that means. Is that just someone mm-hmm. paying lip service, or do they actually mean that? And you know, depending on the person, obviously, that's that's a big piece of it. But 
Yeah, so uh, I joked about, uh, and it's not a joke. I do not like sweating. I want to be really clear about that. about uh about enjoying living in the west um and and i've been in the west now for uh again time keeps on slipping slipping uh into the future um see see this is a see this is a very good podcast uh <laughs> but i was in california even before i came to to even in a very religious part of california strangely right, enough right, right. um that 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 a part of what i enjoy about the west as a religious professional is that 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 to be in in a lot a lot of ways that are that are marked to me having grown up in the south that folks who are a part of the church and to be the church in the west uh is very much more making an active decision to do something that that other people aren't doing and so i enjoy uh find life living in a place where I'm kind of free of a lot of the cultural baggage that the church has and continues to carry in a place like in the places I grew up, you know? Right. Right. I remember, uh, I, cause I, I worked in the Episcopal church the last few years I was in Boulder and I remember having, um, having a discussion with, with parents and, and some of the, um, you know, the pastoral uh, staff there that the Episcopal Church, and I would say probably also the Lutheran Church kind of exists in that place of tension where it's like um, you understand, you know, it's not, it's not full head on, you know, head first, like believe every single damn thing that was ever written in the Bible is, is the word of God out of a man's mouth, by the way. Um, and uh, that's it, we exist in this place of tension where we talk about it, we think about it, and we explore all the uh, idiosyncrasies of of this ancient text that's supposed to help guide our life, and that is very different than you know the the, the piece of, of of being southern and like you know Jesus guides me in every single thing and talks to me and and every single thing I do and and. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's it's very different. Yes, I experienced that as well. The the Western, um, like I said, kind of the more open mindedness of it. Like you said, not not having to do with the cultural baggage that kind of comes along with being, you know, Southern and religious. I mean, I, I mean, several of my songs incorporate this idea of the devil, and what is that? You know, that's so that's such a that's such an ancient thought of like oh the devil is is the demon in me or like the devil made me do it or you know this this kind of the other end of the spectrum the bad end i will say zach you asked about whether that was true in los angeles as well the the praying hands but i will like i, th- I do think there is a difference in some of the urban areas right like i drive around los angeles and it is definitely not a de-churched uh place there are so many storefront churches on every single street corner and i think the culture when you talk about that like cultural christianity you know even though we're a we're a multiracial church at saint mark's but but predominantly um really strong strand of the black church and so i think we operate in that context which is also um you know, it's not, um, I don't know, it's not white Seattle. I, I used to, mm-hmm. I did an internship up there. It's a different kind of like, right. this is still part of the culture. It's expected that you're a part of this thing. And of course, there's a real diversity of churches within the black church. I mean, um, but it's still, that's there's still a, there's a cultural thing there, right? And we still see the the best and the worst of it, right? From, mm-hmm. from Martin Luther King to, to Creflo Dollar, right? Like you see the best and the worst mm-hmm. of it. So, but yeah, I mean, it's almost like a similar... <laughs> 
um, distinct thing, but I don't know. There's some interesting parallels there, I think. Hmm. Yeah, Matt, maybe you can help me. Uh, mostly, Christine, this is a self-help podcast for me. I, uh, um, don't want to do too much in the way of like making assumptions and stuff, right? But but from what I what I hear, a lot of it resonates with the kind of uh, religious baggage that that I've carried out of uh, out of some sort of southern identity that I have. Um, right. And and paths that I find for redeeming some of the stuff that that in the culture where I grew up, I either rubbed me the wrong way or I found as divisive and destructive. Uh, the black church is often a, a really helpful place for me. Um, so a lot of the, cause the language can be the same. Like I'm sure in Matt's community, people offer to pray for one another a lot. Um, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. But that the, it doesn't have my cultural baggage like draping around it. And so I can see it in a different way. But I also want to be careful about romanticizing it, right? Um, that that the black church is exotic and therefore like better and a thing that I want right. want for myself. Um, but I do wonder whether it has to do with kind of power dynamics um, mm. that I can much more compassionately and empathetically understand the black church. And I'm not going to offer that same uh, grace to to the white Southern church. Right. Um, and maybe a part of that is that right. the white Southern church is the, despite what's happening in Alabama these days, uh, the Southern white church is still trying, uh, <laughs> still, <laughs> still holds a lot of political power. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, isn't it? It's the truth that the churches in America are some of the most segregated parts of our society. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not an untruth. <laughs> Was it Dr. King? Is that the Dr. King quote, Matt? It is. Yeah, Dr. King has the quote where he says that Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. Yeah, and that's still true today. Absolutely. I'm going to go to Matt. I'm going to fish out of the well that is Matt, because here's what we need help with, Christina. Uh, We need to talk to the non-Southerner. Matt grew up in the suburbs of Chicago uh, in the village of Arlington Heights. He's in Los Angeles, Uh, but he's a devotee of uh, Flannery Uh, O'Connor. Okay. uh, And so I'm wondering if Matt has some... Devotee is a little strong, but okay. Okay. I'm calling you a devotee. Because I've read some of her stuff, and I'm always just like, huh. Um, I just gotta, I gotta get into it again. Uh, what does Flannery have to say for for helping Christina and I reconcile Southern identity uh, in religious stuff? Oh my gosh! Wow. Um, yeah. Put me on the spot. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, um, I don't know that she does yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean my, my uh, it's she holds almost a, gosh how would you like I'm speaking off the cuff here which is never a good idea so I'm going to have to retract this statement later when it shows up on Twitter um, like Kevin Durant but like um, I mean it's kind of like she holds up a, a fun house mirror to some of the to to the, to the culture with right. Christian culture, right? Yeah. right? And and yet, like through that funhouse meal, they have these like piercing truths that will come in unexpectedly, right? Um, so I don't know, like, given the perspective that you're coming from, like, I don't, I don't know. Um, but it's, but I think that's kind of what she does, right? Um, right, and, and I think I honest, I mean, sorry to, to jump in here, but I I think that the 
in my opinion, the best Southern writers, and I'm by no means a professor on Southern literature or anything like that. Um, that's why but I, I know that. <laughs> that's right. The Chicago suburb night. Um, <laughs> I think the best Southern Southern writers do do that very well. Um, what comes to mind for me is Patterson Hood of the Dry Brine Truckers, who is a total idol of mine. I just think he's a genius writer and songwriter. Um, and he talks a lot about this thing called um, the duality of the Southern thing. And I'm not sure if he coined that phrase or if he, he just brought it to kind of prominence, but it's the whole idea of Southern identity as being, you know, you're, you're proud of where you're from and Southerners are very proud of where they're from and scrappy about it. But there's also this deep, deep shame of, of the history of this place and like, and how it came about. And I think, and I hope that I've done that, now with my record, um, and not a, hopefully not a preachy way, sorry to use that pun here, but um, in a way that, that is, is self-reflective and kind of, like you said, holds up a funhouse mirror. And I'm thinking specifically of, of some lyrics on my, my new record, um, and one of them is, uh, I'd, I'd ask Jesus to help me along, but tell me what good's praying ever done. And I remember thinking about that and writing, writing that line after being so infuriated by these politicians after another mass murder saying thoughts and prayers. And you're just so maddening. It's because of just what good is your prayers actually doing? You're in mm -hmm. office to change the damn laws so this doesn't happen. Again, I know I'm getting preachy and maybe you have to re retract all of this, but that to me was very like, here it is, you know, like this, this is a great, this is great proof that your prayers aren't doing anything in this situation. And, and that's just a chorus. I think, I feel like a lot of Southerners here, like all the time, like that's going to help fix things. And maybe that helps that person sleep better at night, but is it actually doing anything? I don't know. I don't think so. Damn. So it's, it's very, I, I, again, I hope, I hope it's, it speaks to this, like, you know, another line I have in there is um, made in America, forged out of red clay in Georgia rain. And I learned how to fight and drink and pray and live right through the pain. And that's that's, you know, very, very personal to me and very um, hopefully universal in that. It, that's kind of like the Southern education fight, drink, sleep, pray and eat, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that pride and shame thing. Uh, as a North Carolinian over the past four years or so, I've, I've uh, had to do lots of apologizing, right, uh, to folks about um, our inability to go to the bathroom with people. Um, <laughs> the real, you know. Um, I'm going to climb out on a limb here, uh, but I grew up with this, an understanding of the Southern concept of queerness. Do you, is that a, was that part of your experience, Christina, about people who were queer? Say it again. Queer? Queer. <laughs> no, no, I mean, luckily I did grow up in Atlanta. Um, my, my parents were very open-minded. Um, mm -hmm. It's, it's, so that was. Yeah. Well, that, so no, uh, so queer is just, it, I mean, I, I think it's a take on, on the word queer, because uh, that's right. kind of what it, what its meaning is, but it wasn't, it was, it was never derogatory, actually, right? Um, right, right. That the, a nuance, I think, of Southern culture um, is that it makes room for this queerness. Right. So that there, okay. that there is a history of accommodating. Curious things out of the normal. Yeah, what people think like is of eccentric people. Uh, there are yeah. always yeah. a couple <laughs> folks who, might, who, my, who like my, people like my grandparents would say were queer. Um, and they didn't mean it like in a, in that, in a derogatory term, but in the sense of like, 
that there was this accepting nature to that, right? And so that the culture does right. foster these like creative, eclectic, eccentric uh, personalities and voices. Um, and so maybe that's kind of the other side of like, we've kind of painted the monolithic vision of what the church is in the South, mm -hmm. that the other side, I think, is a bit of some of the most powerful voices on the other side, I think, come from the South, whether it's your Flannery O'Connors uh, or, or these days uh, within the life of the church, right? Absolutely. Barbara Brown Taylor uh, lives in North Georgia somewhere um, and, and writes and speaks really clearly against the, that kind of image of a monolithic Southern church. So yeah, so be queer. That's my. And advice. I mean, and and the the, the great thing about the the South now, um, and I feel like it's perhaps just happening. And again, I've only been back back in the South now for about three and a half years. Uh, but there there is kind of this new South rising. Like we're, I as as a as a white woman that grew up in a you know working class family. I have a very different perspective than a, you know, upper middle class suburban white boy, you know, very, very different, uh, Southern, still very Southern upbringing. Um, but I think again, sh changing those attitudes, having that conversation, changing, shifting that narrative to it's, it's all us, it's all y'all, you know, it's, it's not mm -hmm. just certain segments that represent the South. And I mean, obviously this is an uphill battle now, but, um, it's it is changing thank god <laughs> and hopefully you know I've, I've kind of i hope that i have conveyed that with with my songwriting because it is personal to me it is like it i've enjoyed this conversation man oh good I, i'm glad i'm like thinking about all the things i'm like oh probably should have said that probably should have said that but no you know, what else does art exist for so. we uh yeah. we retract very yeah. few things on this podcast uh, and, and nothing I've heard today from you will be retracted. Just the things that make me sound dumb. That's the only thing. No, this is really great. It's actually really good framing for the, the text. It's perfect, later, man. So it's really, yeah. yeah, it is. It's really great. On that note, Matt, what are you, uh, we're heading into Advent. Or we're not, we're already in. Sorry, time is hard. We're in the second week of Advent. Second uh, week. And the church is weird. So now we're going back to the beginning as we're starting at the end last week, the very beginning of March. Matt, what are you going to be listening to this week? on your way to or from worship? Yeah. Um, it's hard to divorce these from the text because the text does start out with the beginning of the good news. And I'm trying to figure out what mm. that, what, what, what kind of song would communicate the sound that I was looking for for that. Um, and, uh, and, and as we'll see in that text, the, the sound that beginning that good news, that announcement is coming not from the center, not from the places of power, but from the margins. Mm-hmm. From the from the queer places. Exactly. Exactly. I wouldn't use that word, but I don't think I could do the accent. So queer. I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you use it. Um, Slight tangent. So. I really appreciated Christina's remarks on like again the duality of pride and shame. Because uh, from time to time, like in my social media feeds, articles pop up about academics uh, from the South reflecting on the experience of like feeling the necessity of losing their accents in order to be taken seriously academically. Right. Um, Right. And uh, and even just being on the phone with you, Christina, I'm like, man, I used like I know that I don't talk the same as I did 15 years ago. Um, <laughs> no, you definitely lost. You lost something. Okay, <laughs> I lost it too when I was out there. Right I'm in the back, slowly. <laughs> yeah, and I I wrestle with that. What it mean? Like, is that a, like? And parts of it I know that I lost on purpose, right? Like I, uh, Christina, I cannot preach. 
I cannot preach uh, and include a description of how I will feel, how my emotional state will be in the future uh, because I accidentally slips out and I'll say, we'll feel. Uh, I can't do those two words back to back. We'll feel. Um, <laughs> we'll feel? We'll feel. I can't do. Or jail sale. I can't do. Um, but I know that I tried to like lose it. And wow, what does that mean? Like what? I don't know. I, feel, I experience that as a, as a tension these days. Sorry, Matt, I interrupted you to to reflect on my <laughs> you, you identity. Some time. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yep. Um, so, so yeah, so I'm, I'm kicking off the place. I actually have three, um, well, two hip-hop songs and then uh, one rock song with hip-hop artists. Uh, and actually, I think there's some interesting parallels between hip-hop and bluegrass, uh, right? Music that's coming from the margins, at least in some sense. So my, I'm kicking it up with Jay-Z, Public Service Announcement. Mm. And I don't know if you know how that song starts, uh, but it's, uh, it's, there's, a, there's like this little crackle and there's like a public service announcement introduction. And then uh, Hope comes in and says, allow me to reintroduce myself. And I think that that's what's happening here at the beginning of Mark, right? Uh, it does kind of come across like this. Um, it's a PSA. It's a reintroduction. <laughs> Coming from the margins. So uh, Jay-Z, public service announcement. Um, number two, uh, a song that I'm sure we have put on before because uh, Zach and I both uh, love it as a descriptor of our time in Chicago, but Commons, The Corner, uh, which so vividly, vividly paints this picture of the place where we uh, used to live in Chicago. And again, like this good Good news coming from the margins, coming from a place uh, that is not a place of power. And I think that uh, kind of paints a picture of a certain kind of wilderness, right? And all the joys, uh, the joys and pain that are, that are in the midst of that, right? It was our time. Um, time stood still with gators and snakeskins glorifying them. Right? <laughs> it really paints an amazing portrait. It's a, it's a fantastic song. And it has the, oh. it has the, was it the last poets? Is that the, I think so. the group that yeah. does the, the, the spoken word on it? Woo! Yeah, yeah, it's so good. Um, and then, of course, uh, every weekend add that, you know, there's a, this Friday, new new U2 album coming out. So I got I got a third track by my favorite <laughs> band. Uh, get out of your own way, uh, and it includes the and this little outro from Kendrick Lamar, where he does these new beatitudes. What? Uh, that are like, I know, isn't it great? Can't. It, it, pushes, it pushes all my buttons. It's, it's beatitudes. It's just it's everything. Uh, so um, and since we're going to be talking about the way uh, in Mark, I think get out of your own way. Uh, I'll throw that on there too. So those are my three three songs. What you got? Love it, love it, Matt. Matt, this is an excellent week to make the playlist. Um, we've got John the Baptist dressed like a crazy person out in the middle of the wilderness. Um, <laughs> We've got some nerdy things that we'll talk about in a different place on the podcast uh, about how Mark starts by uh, misquoting Isaiah uh, about prepare the way in the wilderness and we'll get into it nuts and bolts. But uh, so we got roads going on here. We got rivers and roads, uh, which is a song by the heart and the head. Uh, rivers and roads, rivers and roads. So I reach you a year from now, I'll be gone. Our friends will move away, but they're going to better places, but our friends will be gone away. Uh, mm. Mm, to this period of waiting and preparing what shall be rivers and roads uh, by the head and the heart. Um, Matt, everybody loves Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young in any kind of order. <laughs> Whether you like just Young, just Crosby, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Uh, nobody likes Nash on its own. I think we can all agree on that. Um, 
Savage. Oh. <laughs> we get hot takes. Uh, hot takes. Hot takes from the 70s, right here, every week. Um, but I'm going to go with a, with a Crosby, Stills, and Nash song uh, called Almost Cut My Hair. It does feature Neil Young, but he's not on the album. Because uh, <laughs> uh, we got long-haired, long-haired uh, John there out in the wilderness being a very queer man in himself. That's what they would have said at the, back then if it was in the South. Uh, yeah, that John, he's queer. Quirk. He's a queer man. <laughs> He's just queer. I don't know. Uh, almost cut my hair. Happened the other day. It's getting kind of long. I could have said I was in my way. Oh, he's going to let his freak flag fly. And I feel like I owe it to someone. Yeah. Uh, so, almost cut my hair. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. For my other song, Matt, uh, you know, this, there's this uh, artist out of Nashville called Christina Murray. Uh Singer, songwriter, Parkview High School's uh, own Christina Murray. That's pretty good recall, right? I just called it off the top of my head that she went to Parkview High School. Uh, and a number of songs off of Unraveling. Unraveling itself, I think, is a bit about what this text is about, uh, of John the Baptist yeah. uh, standing out in the middle of the wilderness, uh, being that Flannery O'Connor crying out in the wilderness. Uh, a lot of these songs kind of fit the bill uh, for what this text is about. Oh, gosh. I wanted to go with, uh, I thought Rough Corners could work. Because uh, you mm. definitely got some rough corners here on on John. Um, <laughs> Unraveling itself, the title track uh, works, uh, but I I'm gonna go I'm gonna go unraveling. I'm gonna put unraveling uh, the title track of the album uh, on the playlist because okay. uh, that's Great. what John's talking about. He's out in the wilderness, uh, and the wilderness there, right, is not just like a national park, right? The wilderness for John in his in his time was just like beyond the the limits of civilization. It was a dangerous place, um, and he is out there. Society is unraveling uh, in his. That's what he's doing. He's unraveling society. So that's what I'm putting on the playlist. All what, right. What do you think, Christina? What do you got? Uh, what do you want to add? Um, well, let's see. Let's do, uh, since we've talked so much about it, let's go ahead and do the duality of the Southern Thing by the Drive-By Truckers off of their Southern Rock Opera record. It's a double disc album that they put out that essentially broke them in the early 2000s. What's the Jason Isbell. What's a disc? It's a joke about <laughs> a compact disc. Oh, yeah. compact, like a like a laser yeah. disc. <laughs> yeah, similar to a laser disc. Okay, yeah, good. yeah, okay, it's good. a lot smaller though. <laughs> um, <laughs> a record, yeah. Gotcha. Um, so let's go ahead and do that. And you know, when I was looking at the text today. I don't know why this jumped out at me, but uh, it said something about uh, we won't be worthy to kiss the thong of his sandals. So I was like, why don't we just go ahead and throw Cisco's the thong yes. song in there? I mean, that's yes, <laughs> I was hoping that was what you're going to say. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and we did it because that's the first thing I thought of. I don't know what other. <laughs> but we were, um, uh, we were in college then, I think. Yeah, something like that. You know, there's three key changes in that song, which I got to respect as a musician. I mean, that's just, that's that's not easy to do. So those two, and then uh, just because it's an excellent recording, let's do um, Satan's Jewel Crown, and let's do the mm. Emmy Lou version, because mm. uh, that is one of my most favorite gospel songs, if not my most favorite. And, of course, she didn't write it or, or make it famous by any means. Um, the Lubin brothers did. They were kind of the first first ones to, to do it. And uh, they 
at least one of the Lehman Brothers was very, um, he was very pulled by kind of a lot of the things that we, we talked about, um, you know, uh, today about uh, trying to understand your own faith and, and what that means. Um, so while I love the Lehman Brothers version, Emily's is, is just impeccable. So we'll see that one. Cool. Anything of yours you want to put on the playlist this week? Um, let's see. We can do uh, we could do the year George R. and Dry. I like mm. that one. Um, it's, there's uh, you know some in there about uh, you know the drought that happened in Georgia right right around mm. the ta- time my dad passed away, which is what that song is about. Mm. And there's there's some references to the church. My dad wasn't a church going person because he grew up going to Catholic school. Um, but we had his service in the church anyway, so I, I my sister and I kind of had some feelings about uh, around that. Um, there's some mention of that in that song, and then kind of some some li- some lines about uh, um, the devil and his 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 love of the Georgia red clay because of the drought. Anyway, I'll I'll, I'll leave it up into interpretation. <laughs> yeah, no, that last verse is great. Uh, the river was down so low that day. The devil likes his red dirt clay. The rain never came yeah. and how I crawled, cried when he crossed to the other side. That's, yeah. that, that fits yeah. really nicely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I uh, enjoyed the conversation. I learned that there are three key changes in the thong song. Um, uh, and <laughs> got Most to ref- importantly. Got to reflect on the Southern identity. Uh, where, what's coming up next for you? Where can people find you? Uh, what's going sure. on? Sure. Um, yeah, so I, I've... I have completed my my sophomore record. My first record is available wherever you stream things because that's how the, the kids get their music these days. <laughs> um, streaming and download, all that stuff on the internet. You know, I'm there, Facebook, Instagram, web, all that stuff. Um, my new record hopefully is going to be coming out early part of next year or the summer. Um, hopefully, you know, I can get back out to Colorado. I'd love to yeah. come play in Boulder and Lyons and Denver and the high country and all that. So that's kind of the plan for it. So we'll see. Um, but yeah, just keep a lookout because they're going to be doing a lot of, I'm going to be doing a lot of promotion, obviously, for the new record. Um, yeah. Cool. So thanks so much, Christina. Um, I'll plan on seeing you in Atlanta in January for the national championship game. Yes, um, absolutely. I'm just kidding. I never say that kind of stuff out loud because I believe in jinxes. Uh, yeah, so, rat poison. Number one, rat poison. <laughs> oh, oh, goodness. Uh, cool. You know, we've been living in this podcast for three weeks with Nashville time. And uh, so I've changed all my clocks and all my watches to Nashville because he did Nashville Hot Chicken and Buckle, Christina Murray. Uh, I can't wait to see where in Nashville we go next week. I mean, that definitely sounds like a song. That's a song titled Nashville Time. Nashville Time. Uh, That could be an album title. We're coming to your city. It's a part of that song somehow. Um, Matt, it's time for the text. Time for the text. In Nashville, in Colorado, in Los Angeles. It's time for the text everywhere. Time for the text. And what a text this is. So, I mean, it always kind of bugs me. I understand. Uh, I mean, I, I get it. I get some reason why the lectionary writers did it this way. But we don't get Mark 1, the beginning of Mark, the first week in Advent, which would make sense. It's kind of like, uh, you know, how do you watch the Star Wars trilogy? Do you start mm. with episode one? 
No. Or do you start with episode four? Yep. And then go back, or do you just forget about one altogether? They episode also, what? I found out this week, there's a whole other order called the Machete Order, where what? you go like four. Yeah, you go four. You go episode four, episode five, Empire Strikes Back, and then you do a flashback to Attack of the Clones. So you get like Luke, I am your father, and then you get like it's like a flashback. Mm. You get like two chapters, and then you come back and do Return of the Jedi, and then and you could do so many different orders. It's yeah. craziness. It's craziness, and that's kind of that's that's basically what the legendary uh, makers did for Advent Year B. We start in this random place. Okay, it's not a random place, but we start at near the end of the story, and then we zoom back and start at the beginning in week two, which just always kind of bugs me. The beginning, week two. What? But that's what we do. Oh, Mark. So anyway, that's our that's the structure of Advent. But this this text, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. I'm sure that you uh, you have a lot to say about it. Do you do you feel the need to dive in? You want me to dive in? How do you go for it, man? Who wants to start? We can start. Oh my goodness, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Uh, what an intro. The beginning. Uh, nice little callback there to the beginning of Genesis, the beginning of the entire Hebrew Testament. I mean, this is like, this is it. This is the new beginning. I mean, it's a callback. It's a sample uh, all the way back. There's also the always this the question new- of framing around that verse, right? What, uh, do, you mean? what do you mean? Oh, maybe that's why we started at the end, Matt. We're going to answer on question too quickly. Um, does Mark mean that this verse is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Or is this entire story is the fullness of the gospel of Mark? supposed to be the beginning uh, because we get this like uh, suspenseful ending right uh, it leaves you hanging at the end there's just an empty tomb there's no resurrected Jesus uh, so I like the perspective that this story is a story not about the fullness of what God is doing in the world but a story about the beginning of what God is doing in the world so maybe that makes sense just uh, make the end to the beginning and the beginning the end yeah yeah and I mean the reading this uh, commentary uh, by Chad Myers, and he's going to argue that, yeah, this is this is, this is is a gospel that, um, well, it's a lot like Kendrick Lamar's Damn album, where you start, you can play it backwards. So, like, it's, the, it's meant to be almost on repeat, right, where that end leads right back uh, to the beginning. It invites you into this, this cycle that begins anew, just like every day does. Um, there's so much right here in this, like, it's a simple sentence, right? But there's so much. Because let's move to the next line, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, you can, you can skim right over that, but that word there that's used mm-hmm. for good news is, correct me if I'm wrong, it's news of, what, a military victory? Yeah, it's a proclamation. What? A political military proclamation of something that has happened. Yeah, military proclamation. This guy, he's the victory of Jesus Christ, except how does this story end? <laughs> yeah. You know, he dies. Right, I mean, he, he dies. And then we don't even get to see him resurrected. We just see this empty tomb. That mm. is somehow a victory. So we're going to see what victory looks like. It looks very, very different, right, from what, from what Rome says victory looks like. Oh, my gosh. So much happening. So much happening. Anything about this title? Do you have anything? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I'm sure it'll come back around again. Mm. I mean, that's a, that's a callback, uh, an allusion to the Roman emperor, right? Son of God? Caesar? What? Son of God? Oh, my gosh. Mm. Yeah. Not son of humanity oh or man here. It's son of God. My, um, I mean, so my commentary has this great line. It says that this line is a de- just this line alone is a declaration of war upon the political <sighs> culture of the empire. Oh, <laughs> I mean, this is this Star this Wars? This is a deeply, 
Right, I mean, God knows it's Star Wars. Uh, but it, it's a, this is going to be a deeply political gospel, but in some really unexpected ways, almost like, I mean, it's less, uh, when I say political, I don't mean like, um, you know, pick a political party, write an opinion article, but it's it's more like one of those, I mean, it is like Star Wars, or it's like a classic protest song that can work in any era in which we mm-hmm. face these kinds of challenges. And I think that's what Mark's gospel is going to do for us. And I think it'll be super relevant for 2017 and 2018. <laughs> well, like, anyway, that's how we... Yeah. <laughs> it's like when you get a ticket for littering on Thanksgiving Day. Did you get a ticket for littering? <laughs> no, it's the basis for uh, Alice's Restaurant <laughs> by Arlo Guthrie. What? Yeah. That's the... <laughs> If you parse through the 20 that. minutes, he's, it's because he's, he's in jail. <laughs> well, like he's at the recruiting office and they're like, he's if you've been convicted of a crime and he's like littering and they won't take him because of that. That's the. I thought it was a lost line from uh, Alanis Morse. That's ironic. Oh, but probably uh, is. Probably is. I, I did some Alanis research <laughs> in the wake of our Alanis uh, podcast a little while back. She, she has her own podcast. Uh, I think we're. I'm gonna. Really? I'm gonna put some feelers out. See if there's maybe some cross like promotional stuff we could do. Maybe Atlantis will be week three of Advent. <laughs> that would be amazing. We could say we had God on the podcast. Oh my God, man! <laughs> Next year's Advent. That's our goal. It continues, though, Matt. The military oh. overtones continue in verse two because uh, they're yeah. quoting Isaiah, um, and what we're getting here. Uh, is a military sort of thing, right? See, I'm sending a messenger of heading to repair your way uh, who will create a road uh, through the wilderness. Uh, it's kind of this illusion of, uh, of a military marching through the wilderness because uh, they didn't really have roads. And that's why in the life of Brian, or the Judeans are so into having uh, roads and being appreciative of them. Uh, and so in order to like conquer someone militarily, uh, you had to do some transportation projects in order to get there uh, and to bring a whole bunch of people and food and stuff uh, to go raid another town. Not easy, not easy, you need to build a road. Wow. Prepare the I mean, way. Is that, what this, is that what this is? I mean, this is like, this is preparing a way to, again, challenge, <laughs> challenge this broader culture. We talked about it a little bit earlier, um, but Isaiah is misquoted here. And I don't, my understanding is it's not so much Mark as it is translators who, who did it. Because like the, the oldest manuscripts don't have spaces, right? Or punctuation. Um, and so what you need here is a comma. Uh, in Isaiah, there's a comma. It's the voice of one crying out, comma, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, uh, make his paths straight. So it's actually a little, I guess it then that makes it a little de-emphasized, uh, the military nature, but originally the original content in context was much more in the wilderness, make a road, uh, because God and the forces of God are coming. Whereas here it more, they, they change the, the punctuation so that it's more like John the Baptist is the one in the wilderness, uh, saying, prepare the way of the Lord. You say potato, I say insurrection. <laughs> yeah well oh my goodness well speaking of um which direction i want to go well there's an interesting um again loving this loving this commentary but uh chad myers is going to argue that mark is a discipleship catechism uh teaching us about this way of life right introducing and here gets introduced who will prepare the way prepare the way of the lord and the way is going to come up again and again mark right um and this opening El line El Camino, El Camino Real, 
which has a fascinating history. Oh my gosh. Uh, I just listened to this. Here's a, here's a side tangent. Listen to a podcast, uh, from San Francisco public radio about El Camino rail, the little bells that hang. Mm-hmm. It's uh it's a whole bunch of bullshit. Who knew? <laughs> so this was like, this was like part of, um, uh, <laughs> in the early 20th century when they're trying to attract people to come to California, there was this whole like revival of like the, um, the missions. Right. And so they, the missions were all like in ruins at that point. Like no, and this idea that like, it's like one day to the next mission is not really a thing. The, the way, the reason it became a thing was because they wanted people to come to California. And so they painted this picture of these beautiful missions and they said, Hey, they're only a day's drive from one another, this whole <laughs> car culture. So it's totally this invention of the 20th century, which is just amazing to me. <laughs> it was a great podcast. It was fantastic. Oh. <laughs> California. It's, <laughs> well, it's where America came to die, um, but because we're Christians, it's anyway. the greatest place on earth. Because because out of that death yeah. arises something miraculous, a new life must die to live. At the edge of the, the, edge of the waters. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Okay. So anyway, uh, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, uh, and you can go in a couple of different directions. I think there's like a really easy. Um, you know, God is sending the messenger John ahead of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a clearly one reading of it. Um, but it's open-ended. You could also read it as, um, I, God, am sending Jesus ahead of you, disciple, ahead mm-hmm. of the disciples. So we want you to walk in the same way that this Jesus walked. This is what it looks like to follow the way of the cross. This story um, is just the beginning of the story. Right? Exactly. Um or a third option, I, God, am sending my messenger, Mark, the author of this gospel, or whoever that author is, writing in the pen name, uh, Mark, uh, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you, the reader, <laughs> who is to follow this way that is coming. So good. But you mentioned there in Isaiah that that key piece is the wilderness, right? Um, that this begins in the wilderness. And I think given what we were, uh, what we were just talking about uh, in terms of the the challenges of like a, of a church culture, right. And our dominant culture that we live in and and the ways that we chafe against that. Um, here's an announcement of good news that comes not from, I had written down, uh, starts in the wilderness, not in the white house, not in wall street. Um, but also not in the temple. And that's a key piece too, right. It's not coming to the church, uh, structures. And what did, what do those church structures look like for us today? Um, including our own ELCA, right. Including our own little congregations. Um, what are the ways that we're going to be, that we're going to be surprised by the way that the gospel comes from the wilderness, from the really unexpected places. Matt, I uh, am no fan of David Thoreau um, and what he's done to the environmental movement in the United States. Um, I want to be really careful to not offend you too much, Matt, because you're one of the only people I know with a passport to the national parks. Um, I enjoy them. I enjoy living in a place with a national park. I'm just right down the road from Rocky Mountain, uh, which is fine. It's not that spectacular compared to other places, right? It's not Glacier or, or Yellowstone or Yosemite. Okay, it's just, they're like, hey, Rocky Mountains. They could have done better, right? That's all I'm saying. There are better places in Colorado than the National Park. Uh, irregardless is not a word, but um, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around wilderness and the, and the way that, that Mark and his audience would have understood wilderness. Uh, wilderness to us are places like national parks, um, which are, I think the first association for us is that they're kind of tourist spots. Uh, I remember when, when you and I, Matt, went to, uh, uh, went to Rocky Mountain National Park 
And like in the middle of the day, we we're like, so like, uh, we think about doing this like 14 or here. And the guy was like, the ranger's like, don't do that. Um, <laughs> right? The wilderness for, for Mark is much more like when the rangers are like, no, don't, that's, no, you don't understand what you're doing. Uh, this is a place yeah. where you will die, right? And people, like we were talking about Long's Peak, people die every year on Long's Peak, climbing Long's Peak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a reminder of how it is a wilderness place. It is a wild place in the sense that we do not control what happens in that space. Um, and that was very much the case for Mark and his audience, that the wilderness wasn't like the national parks of of Judah, um, but it was the place where civilization didn't work. It was more like the purge, right? Uh, it was like purge land. And so like, not yeah. only is it unexpected, right? But it's coming, this new life is coming in the place where your our society doesn't touch control or set any bounds around it completely outside of our society. Yeah, and I wonder if that's, if that's a malleable idea too, that like, um, you know, one person's wilderness uh, may well be a place where somebody else feels perfectly comfortable. And what does that what does that look like too? Like, what are what are, are there urban wildernesses? Um, are there and are there wildernesses in in our own lives? Right, that place of wilderness. Uh, when you've lost your job, are you in a place of wilderness? And is that where good news might come uh, unexpectedly? How do we how do we think about that wilderness? How do we make that real? Uh, especially in communities that don't necessarily romanticize the wilderness, right? Mm-hmm. But definitely. Um, Far from power, right? Definitely an unexpected place. Far from a place of control and comfort. It's the place uh, where even where... like if the emperor came out to the wilderness, the emperor has no power in the wilderness. Uh, it's just some guy walking down the street. In a city, right, he has his, his power. That's where his power is. Uh, the society's power was, right? Like to be like a stereotypical Coloradan, right? Like the mountain doesn't care who you are. Right, the mountain is unforgiving and, and takes who it takes, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I, the only other thing that I want to throw out about this um, this little gospel text is that it's such a um, it's such a unique. I mean, each of the gospels begin in these different ways, right? But this one, it just comes at you with a fist, right? Like it just comes. Uh, it doesn't give you a whole lot of prologue. You don't get the the little birth stories of Jesus, um, which again, have their own wilderness element to them once you start to dig in. Um, but that doesn't show up here. Like you don't get any of that prologue. You don't get any of the uh, prologue about Joseph that shows up in Matthew or that genealogy that shows up in Matthew. Um, and you don't get the kind of really abstract poetry that John uses, right? Um, this is, I mean, it's really, it is deeply political. It's like this, like, um, I don't know. But it come, this is how it comes at you, uh, Fast and Furious. And a lot of times I find people are surprised to learn that, um, yeah, there is, there's no nativity story in Mark. This is, this is it. It's coming at you too fast, too furious. <laughs> so what, what's the good news coming at us so fast and furious here? God's going to kick Caesar's uh, ass? <laughs> if if the Gospel of Matthew is to pimp a butterfly, the Gospel of Mark is damn. That's what I think. Mm. To put it in context of Kendrick Lamar albums, that'll make sense to three of our listeners. So, um, what is the good news? I don't know. What's your good news? I mean, I think you laid it out for me. Uh, I am pretty into the wilderness here in that... Um, contextually where I am butted up against the wilderness and in, in, in a city and a community that does everything it can to rope off and say this is wilderness playing with the idea of the wilderness is something I can't not do 
so for me, I think it's the good news is that is that 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 life of God is coming in the wilderness, not just in the places we rope off in the ways we kind of like to. We do a lot in Boulder to control the wilderness, even by controlling it, by, by roping it off and saying, this is wilderness here, but on this side of the street is not wilderness. But, but, but as you said, we're taking that to the places where we lose all control, that those are the places where the life of God comes to us. And I think that makes a lot of sense for the text, for my like geographic and uh, context, but also for the kind of season, uh, Christmas season. Uh, lots of folks, I think, experience issues around control. And I'd almost... I'd say basically the same thing with a different um, preposition that God's coming, that God is coming um, and God's coming from the wilderness mm. um, and then eventually this is going to end, this story is going to end in a different place yeah. or that it's going to end in a bigger place it's going to have this impact, this ripple effect um, right on some of the bigger things that, that shape our lives um, but it's coming from that wilderness coming from the places of wilderness in our lives and in our world oh, Matt, we have definitely got to reshoot Stranger Things because uh, that's all I can think about when I like imagine the kingdom of God anymore, uh, right? Is this much more maybe down. maybe much more uh, benevolent upside down that's encroaching into our world from the wilderness that's going to take over everything? And <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that I mean. Because that's where we're going to get, that. right? That. We're going to get to this part where, like, where the absurdity of our our society and the absurdity of our notions of power are revealed for what they are, right? And and it's already started, right? Like, in the end, the 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 tool of oppression uh, of execution is revealed as powerless. And we've already started with saying, like, your whole concept of war and conquest and how you gain and lose power. It's a joke, uh, right? Yeah, it's a joke. All laid down in that first line, Boom. and then and then they're gonna and then, he, then he's gonna spend the next fifty chapters developing it. Yeah, just oh, it's a good gospel. I'm excited for the year. Of Mark. I like Mark. I'm not an, an anti-Mark. I think Mark is. It's good. It's because it's so compact. Is like yeah. the big Mark thing, right? Like Mark is known, yeah. uh, right? If you're if you don't have. A little bit of background, right? Mark is considered the earliest of the Gospels, but later than earliest Paul. And a re- part of how folks think it's earliest is it's the least, like, sort of, like, developed in a literary sense. Like like Matt said, uh, it doesn't have, like, big concepts like the logos that existed. The word that was in the beginning was the word. Like, John has these, like, really big ideas that are kind of behind it all and is a lot fancier is a not good word to describe how to use fancy words it's really direct <laughs> things happen immediately um and they don't waste it's a it's the Ernest Hemingway yeah of if the gospels if John's gospel is like prog rock mm-hmm. uh this is that two minute punk rock song it's uh <laughs> it's as if right so I'm gonna go with uh um Oh my gosh, Matt, this is going to be a good literary joke for three people. I'm going to drag it out. <laughs> it's like, this is an old man in the sea by Hemingway. And uh, John is uh, is Jonathan uh, Franzen. <laughs> <laughs> Can we keep developing more and more ridiculous metaphors? Um, in the... Hmm, yeah. <laughs> I still yet to complete a Franzen book, but I own many. I own many. (laughs) Good stuff. Excellent stuff, man. Looking forward to next week, third week of Advent. Yeah, we'll try to find a guest. Yeah, for sure. They'll probably be from Nashville. If you are, Alanis, if you're listening. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We know you're not in Nashville. 
but that's okay. We'll make an exception for you. If you've ever taken piano lessons or, uh, or maybe you're a member of the Facebook group for the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago, come on the pod. We want to talk. We want to talk. All right, man. It's been, uh, it's been real. Real vinyl.